0: The Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills.
1: Welcome to episode 26 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Sometimes in life, you connect with people by chance whose purpose is so well aligned with your own that it excites you. Rob Campbell is my guest on the show today, and that is exactly the experience I had when we first connected. Transition has been a big topic of discussion lately in law enforcement circles. You've heard me talk a lot about transition from law enforcement to copreneurship, and even some about the transition from law enforcement to private security. Well, today we are going to talk about Rob's focus on helping military veterans transition into entrepreneurship and discuss many of the similarities with law enforcement. Rob Campbell is an executive leadership coach, a keynote speaker, and the executive director of vet2ceo.org. There is so much value packed into this one-hour interview that I can't wait for you to get in and listen. So let's do it. All right, Rob, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. We are here today to talk a little bit about transition is that
0: right you bet good to be on the show adam
1: yeah thanks for coming on i'm really excited about this you and i we connected a couple weeks ago through linkedin actually i think it was i'll give a shout out here bill massey i think was the one that introduced us if i remember correctly right
0: correct um so i
1: know he's he is a regular listener of the show so shout out to bill massey Mm -hmm. um he introduced us and we we got on a call and we kind of discovered that we were really sort of focused on the same thing, but with sort of different audiences. You know, I've I've uh, been focusing on trying to help law enforcement officers transitioning out of law enforcement into what I call copreneurship and starting their own businesses. And on the other side of things, you're focused on military veterans
0: doing the same thing. Is that right? It is. Yeah, very similar. And that's why I enjoyed our conversation so much a few weeks ago. Yeah. So tell me about your organization.
1: We have a couple of them, I guess. So maybe that's sort of a a bigger question that we just need to get in the nitty gritty of. But tell me, what is it that you're doing over at Rob Campbell Leadership and how are you helping veterans?
0: Yeah, it's two things going on, really. You know, the Rob Campbell Leadership, that's my core business. That's my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, was a startup that I founded after I wrote a book in 2017. I do executive leadership coaching and keynote speaking, and I've done a lot of training and consulting in private businesses. It's been a lot of fun to see that side of the world that I wasn't exposed to in the military. At the same time, uh, you know, I wrote my second book about veteran transition, so it is a passion of mine, and I love connecting with veterans uh, and anybody really, even law enforcement that's going through a transition and hear stories it kind of feeds my, you know, my, my data points and things where I can talk more intelligently about what's happening out there. So I do a lot on that side. I'm also the executive director for Vet to CEO. And that's a, a virtual live entrepreneurship program. It's free for veterans. It's a nonprofit. Uh, and they brought me in about a year and a half ago. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun, really fulfilling to connect with veterans and try and create uh, more vetrapreneurs, right? Like uh police <laughs> entrepreneurs, <laughs> same kind of thing there. So yeah, that's what I'm up to.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of funny we discovered that on our call when you said you had vet to CEO. And I'm like, man, in here I thought I was all original with Leo to CEO. <laughs> and now it just looks like now it just looks like I was copying you. But uh yeah,
0: kind of neat. Plenty of room <laughs> for both of us out there, Adam. I mean yeah. there's just such a dire need for Business ownership, uh, I believe, from from anybody that has served their country and served their community, because they bring those special skills into business, which is so desperately needed.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I absolutely agree with you. Um, obviously, we have a slightly different model, if you will, in how we're approaching that. I like what you're doing, I really do. Um, you know, you're offering, you know, for you, vet to CEO is this this free community, if you will, or a free. It's a, not so much a community, but you have a free resource-free course right. uh, structure. Um, whereas what, what I've started with, at least with Leo to CEO, and I've got so much more in planning to do, but where I started with at least is the community, which I've put together as a premium community. And that that was in large part because that, was, that seemed like that was the biggest need that everybody was asking for was a place to collaborate with each other. But everybody was like, I want the riffraff out. We don't want this to be like a Facebook group no riffraff, no looky-loos, no, you know, nonsense, no, you know, we want everybody to be uplifting. And so anyway, we're doing things a little bit different, but I, I like what you're doing. And so what do those courses look like for, for veterans that are trying to start their entrepreneurial journey?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a five-week course. What we did is we took the five-paragraph field order, you know, situation, mission, command and signal, service support, all those different things. And we use that as the framework to build a business plan. And so we bring a business canvas into that. We have a module zero, which is where we kind of start and talk about the course, what to expect, what it's going to be about, really kind of get the hooks into them. Because many are entering into the course with doubts. Entrepreneurship is tough, as you know. And so a lot of them will will be reluctant to dive into the pool. This is where we're trying to get our hooks into them and say, hey, this is the path you need to take. And then we go through the five different modules. Uh, It's a two-hour program. We do it on Tuesday nights. It's from 7 to 9 Eastern, and it's live and virtual. So we've had, you know, people join in from all over. We've got um, a handful of active duty folks, a lot of veterans. 40% of our, our students are already in business. So they get in and they and they discover that, mm, man, I need to go back to the schoolhouse and learn a bit more, you know, before I go further here. So they do. They come in and uh, and it is free for veterans. So, you know, our challenge right now is to kind of catch them upstream, you know, the second they got transition orders in hand, you know, same kind of uh, environment for you, right? That the, the moment they know they're leaving the police force, that's the moment we want to catch them and say, hey, have you considered entrepreneurship? Let us let us help you see entrepreneurship from a wider angle because everybody talks startup and you say entrepreneurship, they default to startup. And while startup is great, right. it's very, mm-hmm. very difficult. And... We we promote so we don't we don't put the kibosh on startup, but we talk about franchise opportunities and to buy existing business opportunities as well. Those are all viable paths for service members.
1: Chick fil A, mm.
0: yeah, you bet,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Chick fil A franchise, yeah, yeah, huge. <laughs> Sorry, it's almost lunchtime. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love that. You know, I I had a thought there as you were explaining that. You know, when when a vet leaves the military, when they get their, you said transition paperwork, right? There, there was something that just dawned on me right there that I hadn't thought of before about the big difference between transitioning out of the military versus transitioning out of law enforcement. And that's that most of the time transitioning out of the military is much more predictable. And I think that's been the big paradigm shift and mindset change that I've been trying to get cops in general to accept and recognize and do something about is that you don't know when your law enforcement career may end and you may need to transition. I planned on being in law enforcement until I was well into my fifties or sixties. That was, mm-hmm. that was what I always envisioned, you know, and after 15 years, that just wasn't how it worked out for me. And I've told my transition story here on the podcast um, and, and how I I left law enforcement, but it wasn't how I planned it. And the fact that I had kind of this backup plan already in place, I was already freelancing on the side with my business. I knew that it was going to be successful. I knew I had something and I said, all right, now it's just time to execute that plan and go full time with it. And I was able to create a successful company my first year out. Well, if I hadn't planned on that, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have taken a job I didn't want, whether that was with another law enforcement agency or who knows what. And how many cops out there get injured on the job and all of a sudden
0: they can't do it anymore?
1: Not yeah, that, that doesn't happen in the military, a, it, but it's, it's a little different. It's yeah. a little
0: different. It is. It certainly is. I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct in, in that, you know, almost overnight you can go from being a police officer to now you're on the outside. And, uh, I, I don't know, but I would, I would assume that uh, much like the military, you know, the police force is this, uh, community. And it's a bit closed and separated from society, right? It's that you all kind of speak a certain language, wear the same uniform, come from the same kind of backgrounds. So it's very familiar to you. And now you're about to step into something very different. And so, yeah, you know, the more that they can prepare for that moment, uh, even if it's only just going through a course, and we'd be happy to open our course up to law enforcement, but even if it's only just going through a course- to kind of school themselves and have that stuff on the shelf and ready to go when the time comes, because it will eventually, you know, you can't be a cop forever, then yeah, you're a step ahead. And so you were smart to be thinking like that and then ready, obviously, when the time came.
1: Yeah. I think right now, just because of the nature of things in our country, it's even Mm -hmm. more unpredictable, right? I mean, there's – I'm just going to say it and I'll say it bluntly. I think there's a lot of very weak leadership right now in our law enforcement around the country that uh you know, I've seen it firsthand with friends of mine who have have made w- wise decisions as far as how we teach, how we train and within what the law says and yet they're getting hung out to dry because of public opinion. Right. And so there's there's a lot of uh people leaving unexpectedly because of those sort of things and yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a volatile situation right now in law enforcement, as far as just not knowing what to expect and and whether or not yeah. you your your administration is going to stand up for you when you're put in a difficult situation and have to make a decision.
0: Yeah, you're right. It is um, it is a tough environment. You're absolutely correct. I. I I'm sympathetic towards it. I I I've, I feel bad that you know uh, police are getting a bad rap because they don't deserve it, in my opinion. And but it's a leadership challenge, isn't it? I mean, it's you know it's going to get fixed through leadership. You know, so someone's going to lead and influence a group to communicate better with the community, to reach out and connect with them in better ways, to to show people what police officers are really all about. That's going to require leadership at its core to make that happen. And. Yeah, you know, the police force is not alone. Hell, the military's got bad leaders. You know, people that just make bad decisions and got through the system somehow. You know, um, wound up in the wrong places in in leadership positions. It's tough. It's a difficult thing, and and the problem a lot of organizations have, and I suspect the police force uh, has this as well, is that you don't have the ability to send an officer away for you know six months to go to a leadership school, just immerse in leadership, taken off the street and off the force. You're, you're stretched so thin and the demands are so high, you just can't afford to do that. And then what happens is a guy gets placed in a position. Adam's a great cop. He's done really great things. He's got a you know, super record. Let's put him in charge now of X. And you're just not prepared because you've got no schooling, no experience behind that. And that's what happens. So it's not necessarily the fault of anyone. It's just the system that doesn't cater to growing good leaders and you know, that's what I'm trying to do in my business, you know, one leader at a time, see if I can help.
1: Yep, I agree. And we talked a little bit about that. I can't remember what episode it was, and I don't have it pulled up right now. But there was an earlier episode on the podcast where I interviewed Kerry Clemens from the University of Denver. And we talked mm-hmm. about the public safety leadership program. We we talked about that exact problem and how this unique program that they put together there helps resolve that because you you literally, you go away up in the mountains for three days with no no cell phone coverage, no internet. Three days and you're immersed in leadership training and concepts with other public safety leaders. And then you follow up with that one day every month for the next three months at the university. So it kind of overcomes that problem of going away for a period of time and being immersed and but it is a problem. We we take people and throw them into leadership positions that just aren't ready for it yet. Right. We expect that because they know how to make good decisions, that somehow that can translate into leading people and dealing with the complexity of employee challenges and it doesn't it doesn't always translate that way.
0: Yeah, we, we mistake intelligence and technical skill for leadership um yeah. and, and they're they're not you could be the smartest person in the room but you might not be able to lead a horse to water and you know so it's a whole different an uh, analysis in terms of can somebody lead do they show the potential
1: yeah now we we kind of got off track a little bit here and i want to, <laughs> I took us down a rabbit trail that was that was completely my fault <laughs> um i want to i, I want to put us back on track here in a minute but while we're talking about the leadership side of things i subscribe to the concepts applied in the book Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willink. Yeah. And he's a former Navy yeah. SEAL. Yep. This idea of leading both down and up, right? Everybody has the idea that we lead down, right? So you lead the people below you, but how do you lead upward in taking responsibility for uh, what you need to do and who you need to be for the person that's leading you? And I've always loved that concept Absolutely. that they apply. I mean I don't know I guess I assume that's the sort of thing that you you talk about with uh, your uh coaching and and leadership mentoring.
0: Yeah, it's really it's it's really an important concept what he talks about, you know, extreme ownership. I mean that that at its core is I I own this project and all that goes with it and all the failures that go with it whether they're in my control or not, right? And, and you could go yeah. deeper into ownership, but you know, in terms of leading up, like you were just talking about, that north and south part of leadership. You're right. We all think about those that we lead down below. But how do we lead our boss? You know, and there's a, and there's a few things there. It, it, you know, that the tips that I offer leaders in terms of leading your boss, and it, it starts with alignment. You know, wh- where does he want to go? What is he thinking? What What is his vision and his future? you got to get a grip on that. you got to know what that is and then get aligned with it. Yeah, there's there's a saying that goes, uh, when it's interesting to my boss, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Right. That's leading your boss, that's getting really excited about something he or she might have brought up that, you know, or that is on their mind that but they haven't actually put into practice. A lot of leading upward is using your boss boss's words against them. It sounds devious, right? Uh, but it's not. <laughs> it shows alignment. I mean, if they keep saying things like investing in people, that was my mantra as a boss. And my, my subordinates repeat that back to me. Not only do I hear it, but I see that they're practicing it. That's alignment. And now that's somebody I know is it understands where I want to go and they're leading me essentially in that respect. And, you know, I, there's ways yeah. to influence the boss in certain different directions. So a lot to talk about in terms of leading your boss, but it's a very important aspect and people need to consider it formally.
1: Yeah. That, that book transformed my perspective of leadership so significantly that when I was under sheriff still, I made that required reading for my command staff and and would be command staff. So when I, when I identified somebody that I thought, you know, this, this guy or girl, they, they possess something and I see something in them that, that, that might lead them to be in a command staff position. I would give them that book and I'd say, Hey, I, I want you to read this book. And whether or not they read that book was often an indication to me of whether they were actually cut out to be in leadership. Sure. Anymore. If they didn't read it at all and they just stuck it on their bookshelf, that was kind of a clue. You know,
0: <laughs> I'm like, okay, they, they're,
1: they're obviously not interested. Right. Yeah, and exactly. if I gave that book to them and they didn't come in to talk to me about the concepts in the book, that was another clue. But those that took the book, devoured it, and then were coming in my office constantly to talk to me about the concepts in it and how it was changing them and how they were applying it. Man, that was that was the biggest indicator to me that I was on the right track with with that person and that they they possessed yeah. something that probably would make them good in leadership.
0: Well I applaud you for that, Adam, because you know, what you did there is you, you try to overcome the, the lack of leadership training and education somebody would experience in their career path or in, in college. Because it, it's very hard. It's a big stretch. But if the desire is there, the burning desire for leadership is in the heart of somebody, you can tell. And that is a fantastic start yeah. point because you can do a lot with that. Leaders are made. They're not born. Uh, And if they come in, Hey, thanks for that book. I got three questions I want to talk to you about, about, okay, good. This person's on the right track and we can do something with that.
1: Yep. A hundred percent. Well, I do want to circle back here a little bit. Um, Like I said, I kind of, I kind of took the train off the tracks a little bit because I want to talk a little bit more about this, this transition from being a military veteran to entrepreneurship. And so to kind of reset the train here, thinking back to our conversation we had, and you shared something with me that really just struck me. And you were talking about how there's just such a significant difference between post-military entrepreneurship today versus what it was back after the second world war. And that just, sure. that just blew my mind. Could you share what you shared with me with the audience right now, please?
0: Yeah. So in the world war II era, of veterans chose entrepreneurship, came home from war, and started a business. Today, 25% of veterans consider entrepreneurship, but only about 4% actually choose to do that, become a veteran business owner. So think of the discrepancy between 49% and 4%. Now, there's some reasons behind that, right? I don't know that we're ever going to get back to a 49%. I mean, that was the industrial age, right? And they came home, these veterans from World War II, and they were surrounded by other veterans. They weren't isolated like we are today. There were high school buddies, you know, the 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 baker down the street next to the cleaning, the dry cleaning, you know, company, they were both veterans and served in World War II. So there was that familiarity there that I think allowed them to, you know, embolden them to do that brave thing, which was to start a business. So certainly the environment was ripe for it then versus what it is now, though we should have a much higher percentage of veterans that are starting business because, well, there's lots of reasons. One is, you know, many of them have a hard time in the job. First, we're not really helping veterans as they transition determine who they truly are. We're asking the wrong question. You know, let's say you did eight years in the Army. Adam, thanks for your service. You know, uh, great work here. Appreciate everything you've done. What do you want to do next? The real question is, who are you? And once you know that and what you're passionate about, because there's no science in the military that assigns you an MOS that is aligned with your passion, none. They just measure your aptitude and the needs of the service and poof, you're a logistician or you're an infantry officer or you're a pilot. And you come out, everybody assumes that's what you want to do on the outside. Not true. Entrepreneurship is a great way to get that passion alignment, to be the captain of your own ship as we say often in vet to CEO, you know, uh, be your own boss. I had lunch yesterday with a veteran and I, I get job offers quite a bit, you know, to, to, to kind of leave my leadership business and go work for somebody in a company because they value what I do on leadership. But man, that's a tough call, right? Because I give up being my own boss. I give up the freedoms that I enjoy right now, yeah. the freedom that I fought for and uh, and, yeah. you know, and surrender to an organization. Now, if the cause is right and the boss is good, then I will certainly explore doing that. The other part to this, Adam, it's, it's ironic, you know, military people fight for freedom. they They give their country a blank check, payable with their lives to defend freedom. Yet the moment they transition, many of them surrender that, where they listen to the system and they go out and get a job in a place where they're not happy. Well, entrepreneurship can be a way to enjoy that freedom that they fought for. I submit that the police force is very much the same way. You sacrifice your freedom as a, as a police yep. officer for the freedom of the community. And I would submit it's very similar as many police officers transition that they surrender that freedom right away and they just go get a job to get a job. Getting a job is not a bad idea, but Mm -hmm. it's keeping your eye on the long target, right? We do tell a lot of people that want to do a startup, go work in that industry for a while. You want to disrupt landscaping, pick up a rake, you know, and then you'll learn about the insides of that all the while getting ready for your startup dream and then go launch that. Get to that place you're trying to get to. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, great question and really uh, really important topic. Yeah. You just,
1: you just gave me a lot of stuff to unpack there, I think, or gave us a lot of stuff to unpack. I've said it a number of times, and I think this truly applies to military as well, but I'm going to state it the same way I've been stating it. And I've said it a number of times on the show. There is no career out there like law enforcement that requires you to be a master of so many different skills Right. that really, when, when you think about it, cops, Especially those that have been in—I'll say five years, right? I think five years is really the minimum that you need to be in law enforcement to really say you're a career cop and and yeah. that you've kind of gained all of those skill sets. So we'll say five years is career cop. So anybody that's been in that long, you come out of that and you have so many skills. In I mean, obviously leadership is is an obvious one, or you know, defensive tactics and you know, uh, you know, shooting and things like that, but far beyond that. I mean, we we just learn so much and are required to understand and know so many things in order to do our job well. I think in our own heads, we minimize that. I know I did. When I was leaving law enforcement, I kind of got stuck in this OODA loop of, well, I have to do something that's related to my law enforcement career. And I, I haven't shared this a ton on the show, but I actually, when I first left, I had two businesses going. So I had the current business that I'm hundred percent in on, which is doing marketing strategy and coaching for companies in the public safety industry. But the other, the other business I had was actually, I got my private investigator's license and I was a a certified voice stress analyzer examiner. And so it's kind of lie detector, if you will. Uh, Right. And uh, I was going and doing consulting work for attorneys. So I would go to an attorney's office if they had, you know, a a defense client that they wanted me to interview because they weren't sure if that client was actually telling the truth. You know, I'd come in and I'd interview them and give them an exam. Uh, I'd review cases. I'd look at photographs and things of guns and stuff and tell them, are they real? Are they fake? And here's how I know, right? So I was doing that sort of stuff because I felt like, that related to my career in law enforcement and therefore it was the obvious thing. And that was what people expected of me. And what I found was I didn't enjoy it as much. I didn't enjoy it as much as what I'm doing now. And I was actually making far Mm -hmm. more money doing what I'm doing now. And I ultimately was like, all right, I'm all in. I gotta, I gotta kill this other business. And so I think, I think cops and veterans, military veterans alike get stuck in that. Like you said, They get assigned this MOS that's based upon an aptitude test and they, they get out and they believe, oh, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I was a surveyor in the army. So now I've got to be a surveyor in the civilian world. I was a truck driver in the army. And so now I've got to go drive a truck somewhere. And I want to encourage everybody, whether they're law enforcement or military or both, because there's like what 30 or 40% of law enforcement is, is former military. I want to encourage everybody to know that, you don't have to do something when you leave law enforcement, whether you're working for somebody else or starting your own business, you don't have to do something that is specific to law enforcement. You have skills that are far beyond what you're giving yourself credit for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to talk about on that. Let, let me hit on a on a couple of highlights that I think are very important to, to really champion what you just said. And you're absolutely right. We in the military and, 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 and the law enforcement uh, bring a variety of skills with us as we transition out because our jobs require us to do a wide variety of things. In my case, and I'm sure you can give tons of police examples. In my case, I'm an infantry officer, an army, a brigade commander. I'm in Afghanistan running an international airport preparing a large base that housed 40,000 people for transition over to the, the government. And then I was coaching the provincial governor on how to govern his province. None of those things were in my job description, but the environment required that of me, the mission required that of me. So I had to learn and adapt quickly and apply myself and bring my leadership to bear on that thing. You can take that same concept and apply that now on the outside and, it is very difficult, a lot for for employers when they look at somebody coming through the door because they don't understand veterans. I would submit they don't understand police officers as much either. Yeah. If I'm hiring you, Adam, to be a a sales director in my company, I'm a little I'm less concerned about your your sales experience, uh, maybe your sales education, because I can train that. I can get you there. I'm more, ex- I'm more concerned about your ability to communicate, your ability to identify stakeholders, to collaborate, you know, to, to build a team, to inspire people, to, you know, take the hill uh, and achieve great things. Friend of mine shared this really good tip for interviews. Uh, and And we suck at interviews. I would submit cops probably suck at interviews because it's the first time in our professional life that we have to talk about ourselves and champion ourselves. In the police and the military, it's not about Rob Campbell or Adam. It's about the team and it's about the mission and it's all like that. And so we come out and it's the first time. In our, I still cringe when I post on Facebook or LinkedIn about myself. It's an out-of-body experience. But to the point, so you're in a job interview, right? And, and I submit to you that I could be a senior executive in pharmaceuticals I don't know a damn thing about pharmaceuticals, but they wouldn't hire me for that. They would hire me for my executive leadership skills, my ability to collaborate, my ability to you know bring stakeholders together, to influence, and do all those things that they require of that position. I can learn pharmaceuticals or at least get enough of it in short order to be effective in that organization. And that's a difficult selling point. But a friend of mine shared this tip. In an interview, right, it might go something like this, Adam, um, thanks for your military and your police service. You know, you bring in 18 years of experience into this role. You got a fantastic resume, really, really impressive, but you don't know anything about pharmaceuticals. Okay, fair. But the verbs are the same. It's just the nouns that are different right? You're hiring me to collaborate. You're hiring me to team build. You are hiring me to communicate effectively. You're hiring me to problem solve, to lead. I did all that. And I can demonstrate that in terms of what I did. I bring that in the door on day one. The nouns are what I need to learn. And I get that. And that's not going to be a stretch for me because I was forced into so many different environments in my professional career as a military, as a police officer that that won't be a hard thing for me to do so it's really kind of you know reverse engineering it to tell a a potential employer that oh i get it i know i don't have experience in this field but that's not what you're looking for from it you're looking for someone that can problem solve and lead do all those things i was talking about you know the verbs are the same the nouns are different and that's what we bring into the private sector and entrepreneurship
1: yeah agreed yep The reality of business is that there is no single magical thing you can do to get people to buy your product or service. However, if you focus your marketing efforts on inviting people into a trusted relationship with your brand, not only will you sell more products, but customers will start thinking of you as a friend who is helping them on their journey to solve a problem. Our innate desire is for people to just simply understand on their own how our products can help them solve their problem but rarely does that actually happen. Because of that, simply asking people to buy our products doesn't work, at least not without building a trusted relationship first. You've heard me talk about the importance of a sales funnel before, which is a lead generator connected to an email nurture campaign for those that missed the class. But in order to understand what your sales funnel actually needs to accomplish, you first need to understand the stages of a relationship. Relationships have rules. Every relationship goes through these three stages. One, curiosity. Two, enlightenment. And three, commitment. Your potential customers are not interested in being enlightened about you until you capture their curiosity. They will not commit to you until you have enlightened them and started to build trust. And they will not commit to you unless you ask them to at the right time check out every episode of the marketing minute at psi.chat forward slash marketing minute. Do you get the impression that it is generally more accepted and recognized that someone who has been in the military for their career, especially in a position of rank, that it's generally more recognized that that person has leadership quality or leadership skill than someone in law enforcement? I mean, cause I feel like that perspective is there. Like if you put two guys next to each other and you say, all right, this guy, he's been in the military for 15 years and was a Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, and then you, you stand him next to the other guy and you say, all right, he's been in law enforcement for 15 years and he was a Lieutenant. You know, which one do you pick? Which one has the greater amount of leadership skill? I think yeah. most of the time you're going to pick the military person. Is that right? Do you think that's a, I guess, do you agree that that concept exists that that's the assumption and b do you do you think that's fair is that is that accurate or not i mean yeah Yeah. what are your thoughts Um, on that
0: i I, a i do agree that that is a perception out there and uh I, i think it's caused by you know certainly by hollywood right what do you see when you see a cop show or you see a cop movie you see a cop by himself or by herself right? You don't see them leading. Now, when you see a military movie, what you're seeing is a leader out in front of a pack of people taking a hill, right? Or giving directions and orders in a group of people. So there's this notion that, yeah, you know, police officers are great, but they're not leaders. The military folks are leaders. Now, this is where I think it's really important. And and we say this a lot, even in the veteran space of vetting the vet or vetting the police officer, because you and I could show up to a job And we both have very different experience. It all depends on what that job needs. If it's looking for something in leadership, well, maybe I got a leg up on you. Maybe I don't. Maybe I did four years and I was just a supply clerk. I'll bring leadership through osmosis because the military solves problems through leadership. Businesses solve problems through money. So I'm a a step ahead of the game as I come in the door, but I've not led to the extent that a police officer might have. And this is the challenge for employers to kind of see through that. Instead of just seeing a a cop, and a former army officer. No, I see Rob and Adam, and I'm able to look at their resume and have a discussion with them about their leadership experience and hear about their leadership philosophy that tells me that, yeah, Adam is the guy I want, not Rob, or vice versa. So
1: what uh, what's the solution to this problem of helping military veterans? I guess there's two questions here. Yeah encouraging them to go into transition into the right field after they leave the military and, and be, and probably this is our bigger focus. How do we encourage entrepreneurship? How do we bring that number back up from the, I can't remember what you said. Was it 9% that actually yeah, it's like four uh, become percent. entrepreneurs? It's 4%. Yeah. It's even worse. How do we bring that back up? What do we do to change that? Is that a societal thing or is that just direct impact on those, those military personnel as they're, as they're transitioning?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's so hard, Adam. I mean, it's so complex, right? Now, that doesn't mean we throw in the towel and sit here and admire that problem. Mm-hmm. There are things that can be done. The transition program in the military right now is is not serving service members very well. At its core, it was designed to just get them a job. Now, the Department of Defense pays unemployment insurance. And that was, unemployment insurance was up in the in the billions, uh, or was over a billion when the economy was bad, somewhere around 2008 or so. Uh, it dropped down into the millions when the economy improved. But that's a bill that the Department of Defense pays that it doesn't want to use money there. It wants to use it towards readiness and defense and things like that. Obviously, right? So therefore, the pressure is just to get a job, and that's it. It doesn't go any further than that. Adam, get a job. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got a job. Okay, good. We're celebrating. We've got to win. No, because you went off and did something like you did in the military, like you did the private investigator stuff, and you wind up unhappy. You were smart enough to break out of that, but many people won't, or they might be anchored down and kind of stuck in that place. So I think there's you know, certainly some uh, veteran service organizations uh, can assist, can fill that gap. As service members begin to transition to say, hey, come here, this, we're going to give you what TAP transition assistance program did not give you and help you see things a bit more clearly, including entrepreneurship. Like I said earlier, it's about trying to get upstream. You know, the magic spot is catching these folks once they get transition orders. I have not cracked that code yet. I I, uh, I don't know. I talked to a lot of different people and I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to penetrate the system uh, and get a way in there. You can certainly do a lot through Facebook and social media because you know you can't—they can't restrict that. They can find you on those places. But there's so many organizations out there. There's way too many VSOs, and the space is crowded. And these veterans don't know, you know, one from the other, really. And so it's—it's it's the luck of the draw. I started this by saying that transition is hard because when is it, Adam? You know, when do you transition? Is it the day that you step outside the gates of a military base or that you take off the police uniform? Is it a year down the road when you've actually, you're in a groove now, you're, you're assimilated back into society and community and you're, you're thriving in a job that, that you love? Is it four years down the road? I, I don't know. It, the, the answer really, I think to it, is it's a journey. All right. I'm approaching five years since my retirement. and I'm very much still institutionalized as an army officer. Because that seeped in so so deep into me because I did 27 years. Like you said, COP does five years. That stuff gets into your DNA, the language, the customs, the culture. So it's a journey. And I think what, what, what veterans need the most is they need mentorship, not only from veterans as they transition out, but from non-veterans that are the ones they learn from, veterans learn from in the new space that they occupy. I consult and coach and and teach in businesses. My mentors are private business owners, some of them very much younger than me. But I've learned a lot from them in terms of how a private business ticks. You know, and I consider them mentors in my journey that I can reach out to and and grow and, and find that, that passion and fulfillment in what I do. So Maybe to summarize, you know, it's trying to get upstream, uh, you know, where they, they, and hit them at that moment where they're really, their brains are thinking, you can remember probably back to your own transition when the wheels start turning. Okay, I'm about to take this uniform off or I know I will at some point. What's next? And that that's where you can, oh, I've got the answer for what's next or I've got options for you. You know, so it's getting upstream. It's, uh, there's a lot of stuff on the nonprofit space that's helpful. Coaches like you and I that, see this stuff clearly can help and, and mentor. I'm I'm mentoring and coaching people all the time, you know, uh, veterans without pay, just to help them see things a little clear. That's why I wrote my second book about transition. And so we just got to chip away at this iceberg little by little. And my hope is over time, the transition programs will, will get smarter and better and serve veterans better.
1: Yeah, my, my goal, I would say for this next year to accomplish by the end of this year, I mean, it, I really want to figure out a way. And I think some of this happens through online courses, maybe some content on my website or, you know, workshops, webinars, those sort of things. I want to start encouraging cops who don't have a business, don't have a side hustle and have no idea what they would even do. I want to encourage them to start thinking of those things. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, those guys that are like, you know what? I plan on being in law enforcement for another 10-15 years. And things will obviously change a lot in 10-15 years, but that doesn't mean you can't put something in place now that says, yeah. you know what, here's here's this secret file I'm going to go tuck away somewhere and say, all right, if something happens next week and all of a sudden I'm not a cop anymore, what do I do? What is my plan? Yeah. I want right. I want people to start thinking about putting together essentially what's a business plan. Before they actually have the intention of starting a business, have an idea, have, have something in mind that says, this is the concept. This might be what I would charge for. This might be who my target audience would be. And if you know what that changes in 10, 15 years. Okay, fine. Change it. I don't care, but, but have something, have something. Don't, don't just sit on nothing and trust that. I'm going to be able to be a cop for another 15 or 20 years and nothing's going to happen to me by golly. And everything's going to be great and hunky dory. I I guess that's what I'm saying is I want to start at that core level, a shift in mindset. Do you think there's space for that same sort of application of a shift in mindset, a paradigm shift for the military? Is there a way to start talking about these things before they even have it on their radar to transition out?
0: It's tough um, because they're not thinking about it, right? And and the military is so busy. Um, uh, The pace is relentless in terms of all that they're being asked to do. Uh, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, well, you need to really start your transition two years out. Sure, that's smart to do, but it's not feasible. I mean, I did my transition in nine months. Now, I'm not saying that's the standard, but I wasn't thinking as a brigade commander or acting upon or doing anything to transition out, I was leading soldiers who could deploy overnight to a combat zone. So it wasn't about Rob Campbell's future. The second assignment I got into after that allowed me some time to think about that and ponder that really, you know, much better. And so I was able to do it better. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, a paradigm shift. Gosh, that's big, right? You know, uh, I think that there are uh, certainly. It's got to be housed in those transition centers. Like I transitioned out of Fort Carson, Colorado. I was based at Peterson Air Force Base, but I'm an Army guy, so I transitioned out of there. It was a transition center. And wouldn't it be great if there was some instruction in there that kind of opened up the aperture to veterans to say, hey, this is possible for you on the outside. Not everybody is an entrepreneur, but there's a lot more that should do it than they do. And wouldn't it be great if we could expose them to that? And, you know, we tried at vet to ceo and it's just – it's almost impossible to penetrate. The, the The problem is it's run by a Department of Labor. So it's this big bu- bureaucracy that does what it always does, regardless of outcomes. And it gets funded by the government. It's never going out of business. So there's no incentive, really, to improve things and to bring fresh ideas into the – right? So that's what we're up against. But, again, it, I think it's like an insurgency. you got to chip, chip away at this over time, and eventually the statistics won't lie. You're going to have people – depressed and unhappy because they just chose the wrong route. Like you said, if you don't give it some thought and have a plan when you transition, the system will take you there and the system will likely take you to the wrong place. It just will. Well, I
1: I think uh, you certainly set um, a good example of that, but I'm sure it didn't come without its own challenges and some some yeah. things that you had to learn in the process and uh, maybe let's rewind the clock a little bit because <laughs> I'm sure everybody wants to know a little bit more about you can you share with us like how did this all start for you how did you how did you become how did you come to join the military in the first place yeah you know what did what did that look like
0: <laughs> it was a complete accident Adam I jo- I went to college uh, if you asked me if I was going to be a career army officer in high school and have laughed in your face, I would have absolutely no <laughs> desire to do that. It was never a dream or a passion of mine. Uh, went to college. I was a basketball fanatic, played in high school and didn't make the team freshman year. OK, there goes that passion, you know, screeching halt. And I now I had to find something else. So I was pretty independent. wanted to kind of, you know, make my own way. And the Army National Guard in Massachusetts was offering big sign-up bonuses. Well, that's beer money, man. I mean, I, I dove on that one, right? <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, all right, you know, I'm join the reserves. My dad was a reservist. I had maybe a little nice extra income for me and something to do. And I'd be proud to serve, you know, it'd be cool. So I did. And what I found was I liked it. The challenge, the leadership. I felt it was a good fit for me. It was really turned into my new passion. And, and so off I went on to active duty and never looked back 27 years later. And I was an infantry officer, um, commanded at several levels. My hallmark assignment was command of a brigade in the 101st Airborne Division. And I learned so much in that assignment. and had, you know, so much fun growing and learning and, and just bonding with the team. Uh, it was a really special time. I cherish those days. I, I cherish all my assignments. Uh, three combat tours, Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, a a typical post nine eleven military career and then retired in 2016 because it got to that point where I was done being in a tactical unit. It was time to be a general officer, not to say that I even would have been picked because it's very, very competitive, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. My wife and I, our kid had graduated high school and we were almost empty nesters. And so it was time for us to kind of go take a new adventure. So we retired fall of 16 and I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Right, hadn't thought much about it. I started letting the system seep in a little bit, going after corporate America, because I figured, okay, I can lead at an executive level. Let me get into a C-suite somewhere. But I had some friends and some counsel and thought about it long and hard. I just didn't want to jump from one frying pan into another. So I decided to take a year off. My wife taught school for a year to get us over the hump. I always enjoyed writing. Didn't have a plan to write a book. Kind of stumbled upon that met a real estate guy that wrote a book on 100 days you know, I'm sitting there with him at a conference and he's probably 20 years younger than me cranked out a book in 100 days. Well, that kind of pissed me off right so uh, I was like, okay, that's a challenge. So I wrote yeah, mine I in know. 90 right you know? nice. <laughs> So I wrote a book on leadership nice. while I was doing that, I said to myself, okay I, this could be a business. you know I could uh, teach, I could consult this would be a big business card for me and I've got so much to give. So I did. I started. It was a startup. I had zero market share. And man, what a journey it's been. Ups and downs and tough things, overcoming obstacles, learning about private business and all that goes with it. I mean, I I was just a dunce at the start of this thing, and I, I learned and grew over time. I guess the thing that helped me out as I transitioned is I knew what my core purpose was. And that is to make a difference in the lives of others through optimistic leadership. I was fortunate to go through a course in the military before I took command of a weekend, two days, to help me focus inward, do some introspection and develop that core purpose. And I always remembered I need to take that with me on the outside. And whatever I do, I need to fulfill that core purpose if I want to be fulfilled and I want to be passion aligned. So I was fortunate to have that as I as I went out into the world to know what I wanted to do, but I knew that. And I think that's what helped me and continues to help me as I, I get other offers and look at other opportunities out there.
1: Uh that's a neat story. And I think what's important too to pick up on there is um that relates to our conversation we're having today. You you too were kind of confused or lost or unsure at the very least uncertain about what transition looked like and what the end game was you had a purpose in mind but you didn't know where the application of that was going to be right and what you did was took some time and i think that's something that can't be overlooked and now i recognize not everybody has the the financial ability to do that but if and when you can, sometimes you just got you just need to take a break, right? Yep. You just need to to separate yourself from uh, fr- from that 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 old environment, right? And kind of get your head straight. Take some time to understand w- what is your purpose. Where can you apply that purpose? What does that look like? And I think that's uh, that can't be overlooked. That's that's a pretty important piece of advice to give, right there. Even
0: though you it didn't. Well, let to me hit on something way. here, Adam. I think it's really important. <laughs> uh because you know you, you talked about how I was just kind of lost in the sauce as I transitioned. Uh, not alone there I mean police officers the same way military the same way most of the people I know transitioning out have no an earthly idea of what they want to do and they've had to think about it because the military said here's your job here's your mission move out transition is traumatic that's an important analogy right there transition is traumatic it is traumatic. Uh, to the scale of a car wreck or losing a loved one. Because what happens is, I'll get a little scientific here, but the neurons in our brain, right, there's grooves. It's like a well-worn riverbed. Eric Burleson wrote a book on military transition and opened my eyes to this for the first time. I'm so used to being on a military base and speaking the language and and wearing the the, the uniform and all those things. And so it's a very comfortable place for me. I don't think about it much. When I transitioned out, I was forced into this new world that I had not been a part of. And so now everything's different. I can't talk like a military person. Uh, I don't have rank anymore. People don't stand up in the room when I walk in. All of those things change. So now my brain is working harder to navigate my days, to get through my days and do things. Uh, And, you know, society writ large doesn't share the code and the values that I live by that I brought with me from military service. So it's more work, and it manifests in stress and depression. And I have felt all those. I've never been suicidal. I've got a great mate, my wife. She's a great teammate, and we've helped each other through this. But it's traumatic. It's a massive change uh, that someone's going to go through. So you're right. If they can take time, even if it's only two weeks, just to do nothing, think, take long walks, you know, really process what you just accomplished and went through and what would really give you satisfaction you know, in your encore life. That's really important that somebody can do that. And like we talked about earlier, is joining a community, getting back to that tribe. That's what Vet the CEO does for me. Every Friday at 10 a.m., the guys meet, there's four of us. And it's like being back in the squad. You know, we're cutting up on one, each other, throwing each other under the bus, laughing. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, and we're, we're really doing some good stuff. And when you join vet the ceo you're part of a 4,000-person network there. Very similar to what you're describing, Adam, is that community. And I think that's where it starts. If you can create a community and bring somebody into it, well, then there you go. It's a community of police officers, and they all can bond instantly because they know what each other has gone through. That's powerful, and and you should not shy away from that as you transition.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more. Can't agree with you more. I want to I want to encourage everybody to go to robcampbellleadership.com and check out Rob's books. I assume those are available at Amazon or wherever yeah. you buy books. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they so, are. You can get them on Amazon. You just go to the website, the link will take you right there.
1: Oh, yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, I see that. Yep. So you you have you have two books, At Ease, Enjoying the Freedom you fought for a soldier's story and perspectives on the journey to an encore life and career, and it's personal not personnel leadership lessons for the battlefield in the boardroom so That's it. um i'm gonna i'm i'm uh I'd say I'm gonna pick up a couple of those books but i i I'm already waiting on them so <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Rob you. and I did a little bit of a book swap. So, yes, we uh, Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: looking forward to it. Looking forward to checking those out. Do you have anything you wanted to cover today that we haven't touched on yet? Oh, gosh. I could talk all day. You got to be
0: cautious with a question like that to an Army colonel, you know, because we like to listen to ourselves. <laughs> talk. But uh, No, I, I think I made the salient points that I wanted to make. I, I will say, just a few, I'll throw a few more nuggets in there to kind of close this out. Uh, the, yeah. the top advice I give anybody that's transitioning, let's step out of police and military because transition is very similar. There are things, there are similarities that transcend professions when people transition. Some may have been in corporate America for a few decades, grind into a halt, and are now transitioning into something else. It's traumatic. It's a big change. And so you need to be thinking through that and caring for yourself, staying fit and eating healthy and and have a community to tap into somebody to, you know, familiar faces and names and language to return to as you explore and move into new spaces. Know yourself, know what you're truly, truly passionate about. If you could wake up tomorrow and do whatever you wanted to do, what would that be? And there are signs inside the answer to that question. You know, what were the five times in your life that you were in it, man? You were feeling it. I mean, you just were confident. Things were clicking. You were functioning. You were at your best. What are they? And and the similarities between those fives ought to speak to you. And this gets you closer to who you truly are as a person. There's plenty of self-awareness tests you can take. Read my first book. is a journey of self-awareness in there, too that's important. And that doesn't mean you have to close doors and you have to go, you know, ride a surfboard or ride a horse the rest of your life. You can go get a job, but fulfill those passions. And then the third thing is stay flexible, right? I I wrote an article a while back called, be careful not to drop an anchor. And so I've used a Navy term there, right? But when you drop an anchor, it, it seeps into the mud and you can't move, you're stuck there. What happens with a lot of transitioning people is they move to a new place because like, okay, cool, we're going to live in the mountains, we're going to be on the coast, this is wonderful. They plop down, they buy the house, the boat, the truck, the car, the motorcycle, the four-wheeler, right? And now they're anchored down with all of this debt in a job that they're not passionate about, right, in a career, in mm-hmm. a life, yeah. or maybe even a neighborhood and a church that they're not happy with because they didn't know that. What happens when we transition, many of us are in, we feel entitled and we want to latch on to that thing that we couldn't have before. For my wife and I, it was a house and we bought a house, yeah. moved into a neighborhood, and lived on the beach. Man, it was great. No, it wasn't. You know, It was a lot of expenses with that house that I just did, didn't want to take on. We weren't thrilled with the neighborhood. You know, it was nice. Uh, we were at the beach. It was, it was great, but it wasn't where we wanted to be. Now, I sold the house and got out of it, but my point in not dropping an anchor and staying flexible is that it allows you to course correct. Get into something and say, you know what? This private investigator stuff isn't it. Okay, I'm renting a house right now. All I got to do is stop my lease, pick up my stuff, and move on. And Because you're going to go through changes and transition that I can't describe to you. You can't describe to somebody. It's very personal as they go through and experience different things. But be flexible so that you can course correct, and eventually you'll find that place. My wife and I are about to move for the fourth time in four and a half years, right? We still have that itch that the military gave us. Instead (laughs) of fighting it, we're celebrating it. We're excited about this next move, and it's fulfilling. Yes, I want to settle down at some point. Maybe this next one is the place, but I don't know. I'm going to stay flexible.
1: Yeah there it is man that's mate. really wise advice though and i think something that gets <laughs> overlooked it's actually something that i've i've had on my radar that i want to talk about and i've i've been trying to figure out how to address that exactly like you see all these you sell these videos of these influencers, these entrepreneurs that go out and take a picture with a Ferrari in the background or some mansion, and <laughs> it's not even theirs anyway. But uh, I thought about going out in my driveway and taking a, taking a video of myself with my 2004 Honda Pilot behind me and <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's so true. I mean, one of the things that, that has brought a sense of re- relief and encouragement to my wife and I and our family, we are 100% debt-free. We don't owe a bloody penny to anybody. Our house is debt free. Our cars are debt free. We don't have credit card. We don't have any debt. Me we, too. I we could. We both work from home. We could yeah. pick up and leave tomorrow if we wanted to. Uh, yep. I mean, obviously, there's some logistical challenges with that, sure. but none of them are financial in the sense that I got to pay anybody or deal with any of that. You know, and, and there's there's a lot of freedom with that, yes. and that freedom allows you to do awesome things not not just in your personal life but with your business right i mean it gives you the freedom to be able to like you said test things out a little bit and that's huge it's it's a huge thing and i mean we all have that desire like you said you want to buy the things that you couldn't have before right but the debt and the the that responsibility that comes with that is not always it's not worth it in the end Uh i'm completely with you so you're ahead
0: of me i'm eight grand away from being debt free and oh man, that's awesome! <laughs> burning down the track, right? And and you want to talk about liberation and freedom? I, that helps me sleep at night, right? Because uh, yeah, I, it feels I, good. I, and I recognize I'm fortunate. I have a military pension, uh, which is pretty good. So the bottom's never going to fall out for Rob Campbell, but to live off of that pension alone is tough. If I'm in debt, I'm paying on a bunch of things. Yeah, so I'm with you.
1: Awesome. Well, folks, uh, Rob and I are kind of leaving the door open and talking about some opportunities to maybe collaborate on some things going forward here. So you certainly haven't heard the last of Rob, uh, mm-hmm. here in, in, in conjunction with me. And so, uh, looking forward to, to what may come from that. And, uh, otherwise you can obviously get all the show notes and everything we talked about today. I'll link to Rob's websites and, and his books and, all the other things we've talked about today in the show notes for this episode. Um, You'll find that at psi.chat forward slash zero two six for episode 26. And so we'll catch you next time. And Rob, thanks again for being on the show and everybody just remember to stay innovative.
0: Thanks, Adam. Proud to serve.
1: All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.